Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, my guest is Steph Hines from Growthwise, an accounting firm located in Newcastle, Australia, that focuses on giving small business superpowers that can help them manage everything that they do. They're not your average pin-pushing, number-crunching, sit-behind-a-desk type of accounting nerds. Their aim is to help small businesses think, learn, grow, and of course, kick ass. Steph founded GrowthWise about 12 years ago and has been in the accounting industry for over two decades. She chose this vocation in particular because she wanted to help shape the future of small businesses in Australia, and she's continued to succeed in this industry because of her ability to challenge clients, to push boundaries, and her love of solving problems and helping people achieve success. As well as her passion for technology and data-driven business decisions, she has a consistent drive to help improve both her own work and growth-wise at large. When Steph takes time off from being a head ninja at GrowthWise, and yes, that's the real title, she enjoys getting outside into nature, spending valuable time with her dog. She also has worked with myself at The Carbon quite a few times in the past, and so I'm excited to connect with her here today. Welcome, Steph Hines. COVID, Steph, (laughs) what the hell's going on? (laughs) have your have your across the board like your clients what's what's been the the feeling generally well i think everyone panicked at the beginning which is normal it's what everybody should have done and we noticed that you know the questions started coming in thick and fast more in relation to longer term strategic thinking for our clients rather than immediate you know, most of the time they're asking us questions about the next three, six, 12 months. This was a much longer style question play. And in Australia, we obviously have been quite lucky. That panic feeling kind of lasted three months for our clients. Yeah, this is sort of April, May last year, or March, April last year, yeah. Yeah. So for us, come about August, more than 90% of our clients were effectively back to business as usual, but because they had panicked so much, they've now actually made so much more money than what they normally do. (laughs) And I think we're just more strategic in their thinking, which is always helpful from a business standpoint. And so now we have the beautiful problem at tax planning time of saying, wow, but it's been a real a real shock to see how much profit people can make when they are really really concerned about cash flow, concerned about spending and you know concerned about getting that income in the door today. Did you have many in hospo then? I mean, yeah. Yeah, and they they sort of worked out, you know, takeaway or whatever you're allowed to do there. Yeah, I think community is something that's massive in Australia and we obviously don't live in a major major capital city. Newcastle's a little bit different. Uh, We have a couple of hospitality venues where people literally were doing better during COVID with their daily sales than what they had previously. So that's not a common story across the world, eh? Definitely not. But I really put that down to community, like really getting everyone together and doing what they need to. And I think, well, I mean, obviously Australia's initial handling of everything was great. We'll get to how fucking hopeless it is now, but we can, 
<laughs> with people being able to, you know, after a couple of lockdowns, people being able to, you know, get out and about a little bit and may- maybe, I don't know, I can't remember whether you sort of allowed indoor dining and stuff. We didn't, we, we've only just sort of got indoor dining back recently. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's that's definitely a massive upside of Australia's handling of the of, of the pandemic, right, but getting people back by buying meals and, and being able to do community things. And I think for us, if you have a look at some of the larger businesses in Australia, then they're definitely not feeling the same thing. But for a lot of small businesses, there's been an enormous amount of support in community and in people wanting to spend local and spend with small businesses. And we've got a couple of e-commerce clients who were quite micro still loving life. It was definitely that mix of lifestyle, combination style business. Lifestyle <laughs> lifestyle business, yeah, dirty words sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. But it, it isn't now. Like some of these clients, because, you know, they, they did well on social, they had a really good story to tell, you know, they've now got three and four different sheds and things for storage just of product before they can actually ship it out. So it's been quite fun. Well, I don't want to load the question too much. But how, how do you think the, the, you know, the initial job keeper, job seeker sort of stuff worked? You think that was, I mean, it seems effective, right? Job keeper to start with certainly was because it just stopped the panic of firing everyone effectively, which is what would have happened if we didn't have some form of that support. And so people were uh, were okay with the fact that they could still maintain some sense of normalcy for at least a little while. The biggest problem that I think we have now is that support has gone on for so long and possibly too long for some people. And what's happening now is finding employees is really difficult. Yeah, that's happening we we live in a tourist town, and there's businesses that can't open uh, because you know the 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 people that would have come back seasonally couldn't plan ahead. Is that kind of the same thing there? Yeah, I think everyone, certainly Newcastle based, everyone is very busy. We didn't really have many businesses that shut down at all, and so everyone is still semi-employed or, you know, doesn't actually want to work full-time because they're happy to do 20 hours a week or whatever it might be. So I think our biggest problem for a lot of clients at the moment is actually getting the good support and good employees to be able to keep growing. The employees that would have come back for summer, you know, and and for the peak season, I mean, we 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 have very two distinct, you know, the, all the winter employees go home from the ski ski fields, and the the summer employees come and just sort of hang out on boats and stuff. But here, the you know the the whole uh, work from home movement has brought you know tens of thousands of people from all over the world. A lot of our friends are from either East Coast, you know, Connecticut, New York, or from the Bay Area. And they all came here during the pandemic. We, we were a bit earlier, thank God. And, you know, so property prices have, have escalated dramatically. Rentals have just disappeared entirely. <laughs> like, you know, it's 10 grand a month for, for, a, for a shack, for an asbestos shack, right? So, and I know, you know, I've still got a bad habit of reading the SMH and the, and the Fin, but it seems the same thing's happening there. You know, your sea changes and your tree changes are just just flooded with with people from the city and 
and people, you know, reassessing their life values and their goals and their kids' upbringing and all, and and it's caused a dramatic movement of of the population across the world, right? <laughs> it's huge, and I think being so close to Sydney for us, so we're two hours away. It's we really have had a hell of a lot of people move here from Sydney in particular, who now maybe they've got to go back a day a week or two two days a week. But that's doable as opposed to needing to be in the city five days a week. We camped on the weekend at a hip camp on someone's property just outside of Stroud and he's gone from being in Sydney full time to only needing to be in Sydney one, maybe two days per week and he spends the rest of the time on his farm. Yeah, actually being a dad and a a father or a husband or, a you know, whatever that you weren't able to do before because you're sitting in the car or you were, you know, you were, you were out entertaining clients or something because you're in Sydney for the week. <laughs> Correct. I think his uh, children very much appreciate <laughs> the farm life. It's either going to lead to much better long-term relationships or a lot of divorces <laughs> or both. <right>? <laughs> <laughs> Spending all that time together can be very telling. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. 50-50, it'll either be yeah, uh, yeah. How, good how or bad. <laughs> <laughs> but Bo's all good. You know what he's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll roll with it. <laughs> he'll roll with anything. As long as he gets to fly on a Friday, nothing else matters in his life. So, <laughs> what's, what's he flying? Uh, he's learning to be a pilot basically just for fun, so just flying Cessna four-seaters. If if I ever come back and and I don't I don't know whether we will then I, I want to start like a electric small aeroplane company, build build battery uh, aeroplanes because you know there's so there's so many like small trip routes in in Australia and New Zealand. I don't think anybody's doing that down there yet, are they? Is anybody doing something stupid like that? <laughs> no. So come, come on over. Just in your spare time on the weekends when you're not doing carbon, you'll you'll be fine with that. You and Bo can hang out to your heart's content, and uh, <laughs> that'll be great. No, that'd that'd be cool. I reckon. Bit of solar, bit of a, a, electric uh, aviation. Two things I know nothing about, which which is kind of the way you know usually start businesses, right? It's always the way, isn't it? You've got an interest in some form of being able to get from place, you know, point A to point B. That's all you need. Oh, I mean, I, I, it's just annoying me so much because, um, you know, we, we would love to come back and for the kids to see their grandparents and, and to see, you know, it's so Australian to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. What's what's going on with with vaccinations? I was looking at the list. As of yesterday, the New York Times had um, total number of, of uh, vaccinations in Australia at 15 people per 100 and 3,795,000 vaccinations, right? So remember that number, 3,795,000. Iran is snapping at our heels at 3,141,000. <laughs> Kazakhstan at 3,009,000. Serbia is beating us at 4,354,000. Greece, which if not too long ago was absolutely bankrupt, is way up at five million. What is going on? It's it's unbelievable to see go from such a great place to um, to a disaster. What, what do you think? Is there political expediency involved in this? What do you think? Well, I think it's the Australian way, isn't it? We're very laid back <laughs> generally. Just fuck it. Don't worry about it. We're very laid back people, and I think that's the attitude of everyone. It 
at a point in time, everyone will be vaccinated. But at the moment, and I think it's hard at the moment, other than Melbourne and, you know, maybe a week lockdown in Sydney here and there and some annoying border closures between Queensland and everywhere else, we really haven't had that bad of a lockdown period. And I think certainly Australians are very complacent. Like if you walk around here in Newcastle, as an example, there are no masks. And and granted, we're not in a big city. No one lives on top of one another. They're, everyone's outside in fresh air. But it is very different than I would imagine it is in other parts of the world. But I really put it down to the fact that we are... Should be right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> We're a very laid-back nation. No whack and furries, eh? <laughs> I'll have yep. to explain explain for Rita a bit later. But, um, yeah, but uh, all joking aside, I, I, I had the privilege, I guess, of, of, of meeting Australian ambassador of the US, Arthur Synodotus, a couple of weeks ago and take it from from a, a global point of view, his, his sort of feedback was like, you know, it's all well and good to, to joke around, but what, what's it going to have, what, what is the long-term impact of the economy? First, firstly, the, you know, the generational debt that has been required to prop up the economy and, and pretend that everything's fine. But secondly, what, what international organisation is going to invest in Australia, you know, at the moment when they can't even get in, right? Like, <laughs> oh, we'll just go and whack a, f- a factory in Newey, but, but nobody will be there to, you know, we, we can't get in to build it, so don't worry. But, you know, like the long-term impact on multiple fronts, to me, you know, as a, as a obviously I haven't been back in, in two, two years or so, but... Um, as an outsider that, that you know, has experienced a very different social goings-on during the pandemic. I mean, America was was the worst in the world and, and now it's, you know, just just really got its act together and doesn't has done an amazing job. You know, I was vaccinated before my mum. It's, it's like it's just crazy stuff, right? So that's my concern for, for the home country is like, you know, the, there's going to be generations paying for the, the complacency to sort of overcome what could have, you know, just a couple of phone calls could have got 30 million vaccinated Johnson and Johnson's down there pretty quickly, I reckon. <laughs> and you're totally right. I mean, I think worldwide everyone's going to be paying for this for a very long time. Certainly in Australia we definitely will be paying for this for a, a very long time. We just had our federal budget uh, a couple of weeks ago and obviously there's no kind of Nothing in the near future that has us being able to repay anything that's gone on. And the the talk of the town, so obviously no one knows exactly when we're going to be opening borders and allowing internationals in. But from a business perspective, we just don't have enough people to do the work in most cases that needs to be done. I mean, if you think about what happens inland in Australia if you think about fruit picking, if we think about farming and agriculture, you know, we rely on those industries in particular on tourists coming in and wanting to work, let alone the fact that we rely on so many people for so many other things as well. It'll be interesting to see how the next couple of years in those industries that do rely on working tourists go. I realise domestic tourism is kind of 
perhaps filling a filling a hole of what internationals would have otherwise. I get that, but that's 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 a bit of a mirage. Definitely. And look, it's great. People used to spend enormous amounts of money travelling overseas from Australia every year because we're so far away from everything and they're still spending all that money, don't worry. <laughs> they're just spending it here on their new kitchens. Spending spending it in Port or, Douglas, yeah, yeah, or their new <laughs> kitchens, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, that, that travelling holiday and if you go anywhere. Geez, the grey nomads must be dominating the, the Bruce Highway. <laughs> Look, they hate it because there's all these other people that are going to their sites. <laughs> <laughs> there are literally so many caravans on the highways nowadays that it is, you just don't go there. Just take the farm roads, go the back roads. <laughs> So that is definitely filling a void, but from a, a business and employment perspective, you know, if we're still going to really grow as an economy, then, you know, we are reliant on everything. And certainly for, you know, friends and, and for clients, we're actually losing talent now, not only in the cities to some of the regional areas, but we're losing really good talent to the rest of the world because they can sit in their apartment wherever they are or they can be in Port Douglas on the beach and working for any business anywhere in the world. And get get USD and, and clean up, right? Like why, why, on, yeah, why on earth would you, you know, work, work for <laughs> like some, you know, bank advisory business in the towers of Sydney? In Barangaroo, where you can earn some real money, right? Yeah, I, I think the next few years certainly will be interesting in terms of where governments end up in trying to get everyone to band together and keep pushing forward as an economy. Because we really need we need to do that. I mean, they they need to be stimulating the right businesses to drive innovation forward and to really ensure that we don't then fall behind. The political motivation seems to be lacking dramatically, right? Like the irony of of a right wing government locking down the borders, like North Korea, is is I hope not lost on anybody. It appears to be, but <laughs> certainly not lost on me. But but neither neither is you know the the Cannon Brookses of the world like must be just the most frustrated people in living memory. You know, trying trying to get a green and and climate friendly right wing. Well, not right wing, but but you know, right leaning policies moving where the political motivation is quite the opposite. I mean, you know, the, the approval of a gas powered <laughs> power plant, ironically, which unfortunately is lost on everybody, by the only company that's ever done a hydro <laughs> power plant in Australia, is is extraordinary in, in with with the knowledge of and the success of the battery power or the battery field in South Australia and all this kind of other stuff. I mean, it's just getting any kind of innovation or green agenda up still in Australia seems harder than it's worth to the voting public. I think innovation in general, it's not just green, and I would totally agree with you from that green standpoint, but it really is reliant on the individual in Australia from an innovation standpoint. Sure, there's there's a few bits and pieces that they try and do to encourage businesses, but most of it is, you know, small change and it, it is up to individuals. Worse than expecting any help from the government, you're actually, you know, criticised depending, you know, particularly like, it, like Aussie has always been, you stick your head up and it'll get shot off 
as quick as you can pull it back down. <laughs> Definitely. And that hasn't changed at all. I think in some instances that is getting worse, not better. So it, it has given me a different perspective, sort of, you know, I always felt a little bit, you know, like it was um, if you're ever just a little bit better than average, you know, you, you're kind of criticised for that. And, and it's become more poignant as, as an outsider looking in. And it's never been a part of the culture that I that I particularly enjoyed. <laughs> no, and it comes back to that laid back. You know, we are very, very laid back as a country. Hey, if if you're working while I'm on the golf course, then then you might be getting ahead. Just, just <laughs> dial it, dial it back, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you you still nailed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I haven't lost that because I've got to give it to my kids. They're like, "What the hell are you talking about, Dad?" <laughs> Yes, they, yeah. It's one of those things that Australia is a wonderful, beautiful place to live. We do have, you know, we we have great beaches, we have great inland, we have great tourism places, and and it is an easy place to live, but it is also really hard if you are trying to do something completely different from a business standpoint. And and take that, take that massively. The, The biggest thing I always say to all of our clients is you have to tell your story. And I'm an accountant and I'm still the one, you know, bashing them over the head to say, tell your story. And certainly living in Newcastle, we aren't, you know, we don't have everything, we don't have Sydney, we don't have the money, et cetera. But we still have some amazing businesses here competing brilliantly on a global scale, yet no one knows about them. No, and, that, and that's what's always made you special and, and our friendship, for at least from my point of view, you know, really valuable is... Your, your capacity to not only tell that story but but also encourage your clients to do so. Uh, still, I don't see anybody doing it as well as you do and, you know, it I, makes me as happy as anybody to see how successful you guys have, have been over the years and, um, we, you know, we, we love you dearly for it. I miss, I miss our catch-ups. I miss our, you know, red wine at, at the casino, et cetera. But, um, you know, you, you must be just thrilled to see the Newcastle economy thriving and, and your clients, you know, contributing significantly to that. Definitely. And I look at it as, you know, we're helping. We do anything that we possibly can to tell our client's story, to help other accountants, because it, it is that word helping. It's not, and I, I try to encourage everyone I know that it's not putting anyone on a pedestal to say, you know, I'm amazing. Because at the end of the day, we're all amazing at something and we all have so much to learn in. I hope so, yeah. Because <laughs> 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 I'm shit at a lot of things, golf. Well, but that's <laughs> exactly the, the thing, right? We're all terrible at certain things, but most of us as a, a general society actually want to learn and be able to drive things forward. And, and to me, that's as much an accountant's role as it is in being able to save someone tax. It's helping them tell that story and and get excited about helping tell other people's stories as well as opposed to, oh, we better not tell anyone about that person. You know, I couldn't agree more and and we at Carbon kind of feel the same way, right? Like we're helping the helpers. (laughs) I know it's downstream or upstream if you like and and all of that, but, um, you know, if, if, if you guys can do your job better and you know, we, we can do that for 10, 20, 30,000, 50,000 firms, then, you know, we're, we're having an impact and, and that's meaningful and, and it's um, sustainable and it's valuable. 
And honestly, that's why we really wanted to use carbon in the first instance, because I was sick of everyone assuming that a client is like a, a matter in that you're doing a certain job for someone. You know, we're not lawyers. We're here to help build people. We're, we're here to help build businesses up. And that comms piece that you guys do so well of bringing all of the comms for a client to me is so important in everything that we do because it allows the whole team to get an understanding and an idea of what's going on as opposed to, oh, look, I am an accountant and I need to do a baz now. So Yeah, I've got six minutes, six minute increments. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough about us, is not about us and and but it's it's all about you. The how's growth wise going today and are you happy with it and, and what's what's kind of on the horizon? Are you um gonna gonna sell out to a big ugly grey firm in, in Sydney or are you gonna just gonna keep going? Well, Alan, my business partner, who we've worked together now for 23 years in December, so a lot of people say, poor Alan, I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say that. One drunk red wine at a casino night when we were younger, Alan uh, promised me 40 years together, so we've still got 17 to go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that, that was a costly night, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a very costly night for him. <laughs> so, no, look, I love my job. I don't really think of it as a job. I get to come to work every day and either help build a team and, and build people's personal skills up or I get to help clients. So, to me, I'll do this until someone says to me, you're not any good at it anymore, please move on. <laughs> but I I actually really enjoy what I do so there's never a a reason to even entertain selling any part of growth wise for us and and Alan and I are are yin and yang in in a lot of instances but uh, perfectly aligned from that perspective that you know we sit alongside each other every day we still hang out drinking (laughs) all weekend (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Don't when you back. get to, <laughs> but when you get to come to work and work with amazing people at that point as well it, it's it's not work it's just having a bit of fun and you make some money to be able to do other interesting life things along the way absolutely what's um what's m a in in the industry like at the moment is are you seeing do you get one email a week do you get 20 email you know like is are there are there is there money floating around or people are just sort of locked locked down? Well, one, one or two emails a week. Being in Newcastle, there's quite a few of the bigger businesses now starting to poke their noses up and starting to come into town. So I always think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy to compete against them. Definitely happy to compete against them. It It, it just shows that, you know, Newcastle people then don't have to go to Sydney, as an example, to, to get anything done. Yeah, it's not it's, it's not this poor cousin as much anymore. <laughs> no. And it's really interesting. There seems to be a lot of brand new businesses starting up in the industry, people that are, are maybe disgruntled and, and want to do their own thing and want to shape their own career and way. And then there are a lot of people who've grown and gone through a bit of that pain and, and just really don't want to be doing that anymore and so are selling out to some of the more. It's the conglomerates, right, that are really starting to to take off. And co-marketers and, you know, 
dealer groups, all that stuff. Yeah, I, th I, th I think, the, I mean, I, I'm not that close to it here, but obviously, you know, we see sort of our clients disappear and, and or customers disappear and, and sort of pop up, as, you know, as a, as a part of a larger group or whatever. So I think it's sort of still bubbled along. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's roaring by any stretch here. No, well, I think accountants have been so busy in general, if you think about it, over the last 12 months, it's probably been the busiest most accountants have ever been. Yeah, dealing out the government's money. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, the shit show that was the PPP and everything here is just amazing. But, you know, it, it, it got the job done and, and there's there a couple of our firm, companies, clients made, made a whole lot of money doling out the clients, the, the, the government's money, well, the taxpayers' money anyway. So in weird ways, it has been a boon for, for the accounting industry after those first sort of few initial months when, you know, no, nobody in the world knew what was going to happen. <laughs> no, the cash flow planning last year in April was quite entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah. um. <laughs> throw, throw it all up in the air and, and hope for the best. Is Newcastle sort of, you know, the clients that you're seeing come in, do you think the um, uh, reliance on some of the traditional industries in Australia is reducing or are we as desperate to dig shit out of the ground and, and burn it as, as ever before? We're so close to the Hunter Valley, which is mining country. <laughs> there is still a lot happening in the Hunter Valley at the moment. However, we have seen a couple of mines start to close and, and go through that shutdown period as well. So it's definitely nowhere near as busy and as kind of taking from the rest of the city as what it has been in previous years. But we still have a long way to go to transition from that point of view. I think the only good thing about Newcastle is we have kind of had a, a view that we want to still be known as the energy place. So there's a fair bit happening from a, a solar point of view. You know, there are some things that people are looking at from wind and, and just different alternatives. Yeah, not not just digging, digging coal out and burning it. Yeah, we have a couple of clients who are right in that kind of energy startup space and they're all running everything from Newcastle and doing quite well. So the experience that we've had exporting essentially, you know, our talent and our software around the world is, you know, it, it is no matter that you see the success stories of the past, no matter how hard you try, it's really hard if, you, if you're not here. Amer American culture is just, we might all speak English, but that's about where it starts and ends. You know, like if, and it's not enough to sort of get on a plane every six weeks and, and kind of, well, you can't even do that at the moment, can you? You know, it, it would be great to see some some of those more hardcore tech, sorry, not tech, but science businesses sort of, you know, exporting out of Australia. Another reason to open the borders, but let's not start again. <laughs> Hopefully places like Newey can uh, sort of, you know, grab hold of that and use it. Uh, fun fact, our uh, kids' deputy principal is from Newey. Really? Yeah, I said, do you know Steph Hines? Yeah, mate, of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows Steph. <laughs> well, I think it's everyone knows everyone in Newcastle, right? <laughs> not like Tassie, though, where your brother is your cousin. Definitely not, definitely not. <laughs> Although we're getting a few Sydneyites at the moment and it's, uh, it's, it's not exciting. <laughs> 
What's next for the industry in Australia? Is there any, are you um, excited by anything or everything? Is, uh, is there some good technology on the horizon? Is, is there massive change in regulatory environments or is it sort of settling down after the uh, tumultuous last 18 months? <laughs> I'm finding that side of things quite boring at the moment in that, you know, I, I'm always for the shiny new toy. <laughs> it's, it's my thing. It's, a, it's an affliction, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my weakness, but I do enjoy a shiny, a shiny new toy. And certainly I feel at the moment that there isn't a lot happening in that area. A lot of accountants that I talk to are now, you know, they've gone into jumping in boots and all to a few different things and and their view is actually trying to consolidate what they're doing, consolidate the type of apps that they're using, consolidate even some of the service offerings that they're doing for clients. And I think... Simple is better. (laughs) Yeah. I think accountants are kind of tired over the last 12 months and they're just looking for things to be simpler than what it was. I mean, for me, we've talked so many times over a lot of alcohol, but we've talked so many times. <laughs> but this want of some, I guess, people talking to the industry and, and telling us that, you know, everything is going to be completely automated and it will be automated tomorrow and bookkeepers won't have a job and, and accountants who are doing processing work won't have a job. Like, we're all waiting for that to happen. <laughs> And it, it's, it, it comes from there's so much to change in the business's realm for accounting to become completely automated and for bookkeeping to become completely automated. And, and don't get me wrong, we've come an enormous way from when I started and I had a green ledger book that I was adding up for clients. <laughs> But the reality is we're still waiting, like you're still waiting for for information to be correct from yesterday in some instances. I think there's a lot of people who've just kind of given up in that instance and, and just understand that it's not coming tomorrow. And so we're all building things that just help to deal with what you've got and help to do what you can with those bits and pieces. But I just say bring on the robot that talks to me every morning on my bedside table to tell me who's been good, who's been naughty, who's behind budget, who do I need to yell at, what needs to happen. (laughs) Those two general ledgers that have, you know, sort of dominated the world market is kind of their responsibility to do that stuff, right? Like you've got all the data, just get on with it. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, they rely on, they're conflicted, right? They rely on the, the accountants for distribution. I mean, I, I think it's a no-brainer, but I, I, they probably find it difficult to get out of their own way now, that, you know, two very, very large organisations. And and they've got to change people's behaviour. They have to change banking and try changing anything to do with banking in Australia. I mean, you may as well just go and hit your head against a wall. It's ludicrous. You know what internet banking here is, right? <laughs> Put in the amount that you want to send and the the bank will post a (laughs) cheque. Yeah, okay. We're a little bit better than that, right? But A little bit. (laughs) I mean, the difficulty here, I mean, the the massive difference here is there's 4,000 banks, not four, right? I'm I'm being a bit facetious, but but more or less. At least you can get money in overnight. Here it's literally 
literally the bank sends a check on your behalf. Two weeks later, they get their money. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. And and that's the thing, right? For us, it's there's been no real assistance for businesses in that banking realm to to really change. I mean, we had one bank who said it was going to take two weeks to open a bank account for a company. Like those things should be instantaneous and they're the bits that are missing in my mind to build out the whole piece of that puzzle because banking will drive the ability with to get the data that people need in order to be able to do what they need to do. There's a bit of talk about e-invoicing. Is that, is that going anywhere? Look, it's kind of happening. But again, I think e-invoicing misses the piece of the puzzle, right? And think about where people spend money. So sure, I'm really happy e-invoicing from a, if you're working for the government or for big businesses, it should make it easier to get your money. But for small and micro businesses, they spend their money at the fuel station, <laughs> At the cafe, oh, they spend their money with Amex, right? Well, you guys don't, but you know, like the you know your CBA Visa Mastercard, right? Which is probably debit anyway because you can't get credit. But that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> what about these neo banks that I keep you know hearing about raising gazillions of of dollars with ex Westpac, ex CBA, posing in their brand new <laughs> jeans and, t- and shirt that because they haven't been able to wear in. 25 years. (laughs) They're still targeting individuals. You know, we're we're all for, I've got a couple of the neobanks personally that we've been trying out and stuff. And and don't get me wrong, it's great, but none of them are nailing that business space. Yeah. And now they're being bought by the big banks who, when they buy stuff, just kill them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good idea. We should service customers. Imagine that. That's Paul Keating's policy, right? Like, you know, that I mean, arguably it's it's sort of served as well, of course it's served its purpose by not not allowing um by giving the consumer choice, but not just not enough choice to get any decent service. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? There certainly from a business standpoint, it's still very dominated and, and there's a difference, right? Bigger businesses, even on the small, bigger businesses size, need to have proper protocols for payment and, and approvals and all of those bits and pieces. But on the micro level, you know, they just need a bank account. Let's just get one that actually you can do ABA files properly and you can open. <laughs> oh, my God. We have to pay payroll in two lots because we're over our underground limit. <laughs> like, too, too bad if you're on the Saturday. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. But this is a huge problem that a lot of people aren't really focusing on, that we're at the stage where accounting isn't really the blocker at the moment to small business innovation from an administration perspective. In my mind, it's it's mostly the banks because that's where we're sitting and we need that fixed. There you go. Why, why don't we just start a neobank, get a borrow a licence from somewhere that's, that only does small business? What do you reckon? Done. Nikki at Blackbird will give us $20 million. That'll be fine. They're doing well and... Uh, what should we call it, like Stefan Stew's Bank or something for small business in Australia? <laughs> it's Look, I think marketing might have a problem with that name that you've just come up with. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that you and I should just look at um, the strategic play of how we're going to do it and leave the naming stuff to the experts. <laughs> <laughs> 
There you go. We've got two business ideas now, electric aviation and a small business bank that one would need the other, hopefully not for too long, otherwise you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what I see as some of the exciting things, that if we can fix, you know, the rest of the stuff then just, just falls into place because it can. You know, the categorisation of expenses and all that stuff while difficult is not, it's not landing rockets after they've been up at the space station, is it? Definitely not. Australia sort of has to start thinking about its next generation of economy because, you know, you can only dig shit up for so long. Do you, do you think that's a real thing or am I just am I just sort of dreaming that and, and hoping that? <laughs> no, it has to be a real thing because you're right. We, we have to understand what's next. And if you look at some of the issues, and this is not just for Australia, but supply chain of certain things that we actually need in Australia to survive and and the reliance that we have from a manufacturing standpoint on basically everyone else because our labour rates are so high in that you, you know, you can't get anything done. But that also presents a really unique and exciting opportunity and, and we work really closely with an, an actual hardware and manufacturing accelerator that have been able to, to stay in Newcastle as opposed to having to go everywhere else. And I look at some of the things that they're doing with some really advanced technology and advanced manufacturing principles and, you know, that's the exciting thing that I think for Australia it should be on the horizon that, you know, we can be more self-sufficient, we can be cutting edge with a whole host of those technologies and, and new opportunities. I don't want to draw, you know, long bows here, but, you know, like you look at the... I love, <laughs> I love I love how the car industry has still got the luxury car tax and the FBT to ensure that Australian car industry stays alive. Do you think... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the decline or decimate, complete and obliteration of the car industry is indirectly related to the in, inability of the government to attract a manufacturing company to make a vaccine? No. In terms of macroeconomic cost? Yeah. Well, you have a much bigger issue and that is the actual cost of manufacturing in Australia and, and not it's the cost of labour. What's the minimum wage and does anybody ever pay that or you just can't pay that? You've got to pay more. You can't. You cannot pay minimum wage to do anything. If you want someone to stand there and press a button on a machine, you're paying 120 grand. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So there's what we hear around town is, you know, the we, we obviously have a the equivalent of, of uh, well, a left-wing government or a, a, a Labor government in Australia, the Democrats... People say that they're getting paid, you know, $18 an hour to sit at home. I don't know whether that's true, and I'm not proclaiming that that's true at all because I've got no idea, but that's what I hear. And it would only take $22 an hour, you know, to, to, to make them stop smoking weed and, and get out and press a button, right? Like what's, what's that, about 50 grand a year or something? Yeah. You know, like, you know, 45 grand a year or something. I mean, that's that's a third of, of kind of, you know, what you're talking about. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's a structural issue, right? Yeah. And for a lot of it, it's making them change a job. So if you think about us around here, if you work in the mines, that's your starting wage. So you're not going to leave that industry to go and do anything in, in manufacturing if you're going to get half of that wage again. So 
I think we have a massive problem to try and solve in that we need to be doing some different bits and pieces. We've got enough space. We certainly have the brains in humans to be able to to do something different. That kind of manufacturing and an advanced manufacturing stage, not the traditional stuff, but you know, what's next is is quite exciting. But you know, other than the small businesses doing it themselves, we've got a, a couple that, you know, are, have invested in the last 12 months half a million dollars in robots to press the button, right, to sit there and actually do those menial tasks, which is great because you don't really need a human to do it. There's no choice in a structural arrangement, right? Even if you wanted to to begin with, you couldn't. Yeah. But you need the cash, right? You need the capital to be able to do that. Where does a small business get that type of capital from? Not the government. (laughs) Well, the next phase is you would go to the bank and the bank's not giving it to you unless you give them the house. (laughs) You look at how exposed the American economy was during COVID, right? Like, you know, it's so wafer thin on, you know, being transformed to this gig economy, which all of a sudden just disappeared and everybody's, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. And in some, you know, in a very different way, you know, we're going to see the Australian economy exposed similarly by its reliance on, you know, high wage, essentially, you know, traditional industry, mineral mines, etc. And the other end of that is, you know, sort of this pushing finance around, like not, not the lack of invention you know, outside of the American coast, or particularly the West one, and, you know, the Australian reliance on, you know, traditional industry leave, you know, vast swathes of the economy exposed to, you know, very significant structural stress in in times of like a pandemic or whatever else hits the world, you know, God knows. <laughs> and it is weird when we are so far away from everyone as well and we are so relaxed and <laughs> definitely not stressed as a nation to get everyone excited about what is actually next as well. I think that's the biggest, from a helicopter standpoint, that's kind of the biggest issue, right? Even if you're not relying on government you know, subsidy or, or, or incentive to do so, right? Like, yeah, you're right. I mean, you do need support. You do need support of your family. You do need support of your community. You do need support of to do big things. And it's, that's hard in Aussie. Definitely. That support is missing and that excitement around driving, you know, what potentially could be next and which problems we can solve and, One of the reasons I love my job is the people that you get to actually spend time with and talk to and... Yeah, and that that are having a go. (laughs) And and no wonder they love spending time with you, right? You're not going to sit there and say, I told you so, mate. No, I'm the one encouraging going, oh, my God, I know this other guy over here. Talk (laughs) talk to them, talk to them. But it's hard because they're always hamstrung by their ability to either get government grants or or raise money from the bank or raise money from family and friends to try and get to that next level at the same time. That's certainly an aspect that has dramatically changed since since I left in 2012, coming up to 10 years, I believe it's been that long. You know, the 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 availability of capital has has improved dramatically. You know, the maturity of the VC industry 
I mean, you remember we were 2008, like there's just no chance of raising money for PayCycle. That's probably a good thing, but, you know, like even if, even, you know, there was, in hindsight, it was just, just impossible, right? Like there was no maturity at all for, for, for raising capital. You know, Nikki and Rick at Blackbird and, you know, the Square Peg guys and, and all these people that have done well in their own businesses and then ploughed that back into the industry has, has dramatically improved the VC industry and, and you know, I, I, th- I think the availability and the maturity of capital has, has certainly improved over the last 10 years anyway. Massively, but it still is very, it's very sidewards to technology businesses, which I'm not, that's not a bad thing, right? And it's... It's their na- background, right? It's what they know. It's where the money's come from. It's where it's going back into... Yeah, correct. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is definitely still a need for that. If we didn't have it in Australia, we'd still be screwed anyway. It's just then now educating that industry that there is there are other things. Yeah, perhaps it comes back to your storytelling too. You know, every business is, should be is a technology business these days, right? Like you, you got to you got to get those people doing so called tangential businesses. You know, thinking that. Okay, how do we use technology and, and sell this story to to the blackbirds, to the square pegs, to the you know the, the dozens of others there that that this is a technology? But even though we're I don't know digging stuff up or we're we're making hardware or we're doing whatever, this this is a technology. And this is how we're going to scale. And this is how we're going to distribute. And this is how we're going to make our productivity you know ten times better than what it could have been otherwise. But with technology, we're building robots. Invest in these. We could sell these. You know, like there's a lot that. Australian businesses can do to to improve their global outlook <laughs> and, and their capacity to raise money is directly related to their capacity to tell a story around technology. And it's always that story. And, and just being able to actually articulate, well, really the only difference is we actually have some hardware cogs that go in there as well. And maybe we need some more money because our inventory levels need to be higher. I mean, it's it's the same thing, right? But it's the accountants then being able to build those models and tell that story from a back-end point of view to help the rest of the industries kind of understand that at the same time. I completely understand. I mean, it's definitely biased towards software and, uh, you know, hardware is called exact called that for a reason. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's bloody hard. But um, Australia's, you know always had the difficulty of, of being globally focused from day one. I think it's definitely contributed a lot to our success as, you know, us being up here and, and you know, others in Australia from day one. We're, we're just, we're not Australian. We're not obviously born Australian, but, you know, the, the company is a global company. We don't sort of identify directly with, with anywhere. No, and that's needed. I think the the biggest problem that I see from an accounting industry standpoint at this point in time is so many of our clients are now global-based businesses, yet the complexities of tax, cross-border and, and you know, everything else is just... Subsidiary entities with IP and, <laughs> oh, we're, going, yeah, we're, we're, re, we're reshaping again our structures and it's we're pretty simple as, God, it's complex. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? There's not enough people who understand that to then feel confident to encourage clients to go and explore those things as well. So, you know, globally, if I was running the global world... <laughs> 
<laughs> that'd be Steph's throne. <laughs> you know, that'd be something that I would definitely be put, putting on the agenda because that's what makes it easy to do business everywhere. Yeah. The scales have tilted. So, you know, Ireland sort of gave away all this sort of tax benefit for ages and then they thought, oh, fuck, hang on, we're not making any money here. And then sort of, you know, and, and screwed it for everybody. And so everybody's got their, their thumb in the pie, right? It's very, very, very difficult. And you, you look at the Facebook, I mean, God, you know, the US people just, just laughed at Australia's attempts to try and, you know, rein Facebook in. I mean, feeling if the Republicans can't do it, nobody can, right? So these problems are going to only going to get worse, not better. And I think from Australia's perspective, we need to be really mindful that we want to attract as many of those businesses here as we possibly can, because what it does is it just breeds more people either coming here to work or staying here and actually staying employed by an entity that is effectively part Australian. And, and preferably paying a bit of tax there too. That'd be nice. <laughs> just a little bit, you know. <laughs> Well, we would, except, you know, that we can't get in. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a big problem because it's a big consideration for people in, you know, determining whether they want that next layer and level of complexity in their business and how they then go about it. Steph, I've taken up way too much of your time. It's amazing to catch up with you again. And uh, we, we miss you terribly. And uh, congratulations on, you know, all your success and, and your client's success that uh, you've achieved so far and I'm sure we'll continue to do so. Well, it's 17 more years of fun, don't you worry. No worries, we'll be here. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Deb. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com/resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.